Good morning, everyone. I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. This week we are beginning a 12-week sermon series on the law of God. Some of you are thinking, I'd rather not. It's okay. Some of you are asking why. And we hope to work through that some today. Uh, There are questions that we all have about the law of God. There are assumptions we all make about the law of God. And so, um, though we will be looking to the resurrection account this week, uh, next week, uh, this week and the, and the week after that, we're going we're gonna to take two sermons to sort of prepare as we work our way through the Ten Commandments. Um, in that preparation time, we're going we're gonna to define the law and we're going to see the basis of the law. And we'll begin today in Matthew Chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. These are the words of Jesus as He preached the Sermon on the Mount. This is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota, not a dot will pass, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me me pray for us as we we enter into this this sermon. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word, and and, um, it hits us all in different ways and different places. And and I pray that your spirit would, would speak, would speak through the word, would speak through the preaching of the word. Um, but would personalize this message as each, as each of us need to hear it, and would your Spirit guide each of us to Jesus. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. As we get ready to, uh, to move into our building, uh, Lord willing, we... Anticipate that sometime this summer. I've been thankful for a lot of things, and, and one of the things that I've been thankful for is a group of men, um, a group of craftsmen, who are using their gifts to to make some furniture for us. They're they're, they're making a, a conference room table. Now I'm thankful for them for a lot of reasons. I don't know how to do that work, and I'm thankful that they do. Um, I'm also thankful that in knowing how to do this work, they know their tools. They know what is the right tool for the right job. So as they come together to to make this table, I I imagine that they will use a level to measure how square this table is. 
I imagine that they will use a planer or a, or a sander to kind of smooth out the rough edges and make these boards that will form the table fit together in one comprehensive whole and, and make the whole more beautiful. These men know what tool is the right tool for the job and they know that a level makes a poor sander and a sander makes a poor level. You don't have to be a carpenter to know these truths. I stand before you as exhibit A. But somehow, though we understand it intuitively when it comes to carpentry, we forget it about the law. How do we think about the law of God? How do we use the law of God? Do you use the law of God as a measuring device, a level of sorts, as a way to judge your personal progress? And if you do use the law as a measuring device, how are you feeling about that? You feeling pretty good about how the progress is going? A little pat on the back or, or maybe, maybe you're feeling shame. Maybe you're feeling rejection. Why is it that so many of us approach the law of God as if it were just that? A measuring device, a way to justify ourselves or a way to evidence our exclusion. The Word of God actually tells us there are different uses for the law. It's a different tool, so to speak. Not a a measuring device, but a shaping tool. Now, if we were to rub a planer across a plank of wood to smooth it out, I imagine if a piece of wood could feel pain, it would be painful. (laughs) You're stripping away parts of it. If you applied a sander to it, there would be some pain. And, And there are times when the law, as a shaping tool, can feel painful, but think about the outcome of that shaping work. It is something new, something more beautiful. I want us to see the law of God as a shaping tool, a tool that is shaping our hearts in the image of Jesus Christ. As we approach the law today, I'll, I'll tell you that this may sound and feel a lot more like a Sunday school lesson than a, than a sermon. We're going to sort of hit a lot of passages. It's gonna, I'm going to teach, and that's why you've got a bulletin insert so that you don't have to take all the notes. It'll guide you where we've, um, where you can go back and, and see where we've been today. But in all the teaching that we're going we're gonna to have today, there's a point to it. And the point is this. Difference, the law of God is permanent. And the law of God is good. And so for believers, as we approach the law, let us let us see it as a reflection of the heart of God. Let us look to it as a foundation for Christian living and through it let us see and cling to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. Let's dig in by asking the question or dealing with the question, what is the law? 
let, let me offer a bit of personal background that, uh, and I bet many of you can relate to this. When I was a young believer, I, um, I vowed, I endeavored several years in a row to try and read through the Bible in a year. It took several years because I kept making my way somewhere through Leviticus or Numbers and stalling. <laughs> and I'd go back the following year. But as I would go through uh, the Word, I, I would get through Genesis and then I would get into Exodus and then I would get to Exodus 20 and, and I'd read the Ten Commandments. And as I would read the Ten Commandments, that made sense to me. It was, I was familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, but then I would get beyond Exodus 20, and I would get into Exodus 21, and, and I would start to see a whole host of other laws, rules. I'd get to Exodus 21, 15. Whoever, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Well, I'd read the Ten Commandments. I get beyond the Ten Commandments and these other rules. Some of them seemed very practical. Some of them, for the life of me, sounded archaic, outdated, and harsh. And I thought, I don't know if I ever struck my parents, but I'm thankful that they didn't listen to that law. And then I began to wonder are we picking and choosing? Why do we focus on the Ten Commandments and not all these other laws afterwards? If we say we believe in the Bible, why don't we follow those? Do you ever ask those questions? Do you ever wonder? Our culture is asking those questions, albeit with a different nuance and a different edge. See, the culture is saying, how can you believe in that Bible? The culture is saying, how can you believe in that God? And many of us don't have an answer. Many of us do not know how to respond when we're challenged in this way, or perhaps as we read through our Bibles and we're challenged ourselves. We want to say that Jesus brought in an ethic of love. But what did he say in Matthew 5? In Matthew 5, he said, I didn't come to remove the law, to abolish it. He's saying every bit of it remains. And if we don't have a way to think through the law, to answer the questions of these additional rules and laws, it will inevitably cause us to question the Word of God. When we speak of the law, I want to encourage you to see them speaking of the Ten Commandments. But I don't merely want to tell you I'm speaking of the Ten Commandments, and I'm not speaking of Exodus 21:15, and whoever strikes his father and mother shall be put to death. I want to show you why. I want to try and equip you, give you some tools to understand how to read and understand the Word, to understand the law. When we speak of the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. But why? 
Why are we talking about the Ten Commandments? And do they still matter for Christians? Well, let's, let's try and develop a biblical framework to answer those questions. Let's think about the law in three categories. Okay, this is for you in your outline. We're going to talk about the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. Let's start with the moral law. The moral law is the Ten Commandments, or is summarized in the Ten Commandments. We find the Ten Commandments in your Bible in Exodus chapter 20, and then again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as Moses has, has gathered the people of Israel across the Jordan River, preparing them to enter in to the Promised Land, and he's reminding them of all that's taken place. So we we find the Ten Commandments, the moral law, in two places, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But there's something different about the Ten Commandments. There's something different in the way the Ten Commandments were delivered, something different about the way they were recorded that speaks to their permanence, and speaks to the role they play in the life of God's people. I want to sort of unpack that for you so that we can distinguish between what we'll see as the moral law and what we'll see as the civil law. Uh, the, the first difference that we see speaking to permanence in the delivery of the law is the actual speaker of the law. If you look to Exodus 20 verse 1, it's actually a passage that we'll preach on in two weeks. Who's speaking? Exodus 20 verse 1, and God spoke all these words. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, were spoken directly by God to the people. There was no mediator between God and man in the proclamation of the law. One evidence of permanence. Another evidence of permanence. Who actually wrote the law? God did. God wrote the law with His own finger. If we were to look over to Exodus 31, 18, and then again in 32, 15, and 16, we would see this. And, and He, God, gave to Moses when He had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Over in, verse, in chapter 32, you see the same thing. And I bring this up because the Word of God is very intentionally drawing this out for us. 32, 15, and 16, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. The Word of God is telling us something here. It's telling us something in the delivery of the law, that it was spoken by God, it was written by God, and more than merely being written by God, it was written on stone. You heard that in what we just read. God did this, and beyond all of that, the Ten Commandments. Numbers, numbers are significant in Scripture. The number ten is a, it's a number of completion. Now, Jesus in, in Matthew 22 would uh, speak saying that uh, the, the greatest law is that we would love the Lord with our heart, our strength, and all our mind. And the second, like it, we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is not erasing ten and giving us two. He's summarizing the ten in the two. The first four of the Ten Commandments speak to our relationship with God, our 
the next six, our relationship with one another. But Jesus is affirming the permanence of the law in Matthew 5, in Matthew 22. As he summarizes it all there. And what I want you to see is that the moral law, as we've laid it out in its permanence, is the principial law of God. This is what I mean by that. It is it's primary. All the law that comes after it is the application of that principial law. It's the Lord applying it to His people. But He very clearly in the Word sets apart the Ten Commandments, marking them in their permanence. Now let's go to the civil law. What we see in the Word is called the Book of the Covenant. Remember who spoke the moral law? God spoke it, but in Exodus 21.1 we see that Moses was the mediator speaking the Book of the Covenant. God says these are the rules that you... Moses shall sit before them. The book of the covenant, the the civil law, was written not by God's own hand, but by Moses. In Exodus 24, 4, we see that. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And this was written not on stone, but on parchment, as The Word of God would speak very clearly about the book of the covenant. The word in Hebrew for book speaks to a scroll or or to a, a book of paper. There is a distinction here that the Bible is intentionally making, separating out the moral law and the civil law. So what is this civil law? Well, in Exodus 21, 1, God says that now these are the rules. What rule the mishpat is, is the, it's, it's the case law based on a prior precedent. It's the Lord saying, okay, here are the Ten Commandments. Here's how we're going to apply them to the theocratic nation of Israel. Because applying the moral law to a nation... And that's very important. The civil law, the book of the covenant, what we begin reading in chapter 21 is the application of those Ten Commandments for a specific people at a specific point in time in redemptive history. The theocratic nation of Israel. But dear friends, the church is not a nation. We see that in ways that probably make us feel uncomfortable in the New Testament when the Word tells us to submit to the governing authorities. You see, there's a, there's a continuity in the Word. And there's a movement throughout redemptive history. And we see the permanence of the moral law, the temporal nature of the civil law, and then there's the ceremonial. The ceremonial is recorded for us largely, though not exclusively, in the book of Leviticus. And the ceremonial law is meant to denote how God will be worshipped. So once upon a time before we had to stop Sunday school because of COVID, Brother George was preaching through Leviticus and outlining for us in Sunday school what this ceremonial law entailed. It was a series of, of offerings, a series of cleanliness codes, of, of food laws, of holy feasts and observances. And then elsewhere in the Torah, the the book of the law, we would see the prescription for the tabernacle, the place of God's dwelling among His people. 
But do you see the ceremonial law, they were all laws that were meant to show the people of God that they were to be set apart from the nations around them and how they were to worship the Lord God. Now over time, the Pharisees would add to the ceremonial law, but in the New Testament we see that this law was fulfilled in Jesus. And we can look to Acts chapter 10. As Lord, we give Peter a, a vision of a sheet coming down out of the sky and the Lord telling Peter to go kill and eat. And Peter said, no, I'm a, I'm a good Jewish boy. I, I, I have never eaten anything unclean. The Lord tells him, do not call anything that I have created unclean. Peter understands the message because at that moment there was a knock at the door. Cornelius, the Gentile, had sent for Peter to come and teach him God's word. Do you see the ceremonial law had a place in redemptive history, but in Jesus the ceremonial law was fulfilled. The Lord has fulfilled His purpose that has been for all time to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond merely the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That is what we're trying to see, that there's the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, they have their place, but you may be asking yourself, okay, cool, James, so what? That's a fair question. So what? Well, here's the first so what. The Bible is true. It's true even when we don't understand it. The Bible is without error. And you and I together must learn to read it so that we can find confidence in this Word. There was a, there was a TV show, maybe some of you have watched it on Netflix now, called The West Wing. Really uh, great writing in that show, but that show, as with many TV shows, had an agenda. And we as Christians need to be able to see the agenda and see through the agenda. There was a, there was a scene that sticks out in my memory on that particular show. You see, they, they put forward this President uh, Jed Bartlett. He was sort of the uber leader man, a Nobel laureate. He was an economics professor. He was a this, that, this, that. There was this one scene where he was in this room gathering and he, and he got into this confrontation with, a, of all things, a conservative talk show uh, host, conservative Christian talk show host. And remember there was an agenda in the show, and I'm not trying to justify all uh, conservative talk show hosts, but, but in this particular case, there was a background where she had said something about homosexuality, and President Bartlett decided to speak into it, and he lit into her in front of everyone, taking the civil law, and called us to stone the homosexual, called us to kill the Sabbath breaker. He took it out of context and used it as a weapon and silenced the room and silenced most people who watched the show because most Christians don't know how to respond to this. I watched it and it angered me. There was a time when it angered me because I didn't know what to say about it. 
I didn't want what this show was saying to be true, but I didn't know how to interact. And then a time when other teachers began to unpack this for me, I was angered because there was the world using the Word of God out of context to bludgeon others. And you and I, we've got to see got to see how the Word comes together. Few of us know how to deal with these questions. We, we simply want to respond by saying Jesus ushered in love. But let me just caution you, Jesus did not usher in love. Jesus manifested love. He manifested the love that God the Father had for His people from all eternity. See Jesus as the manifestation, the incarnation of God's eternal love. Christians need this reminding and non-Christians need to be told. Friends, we can be confident in the Word of God. The civil law, the ceremonial law, they had their place in redemptive history. And for some of us, even that's a struggle. But we need to see it in the context of a God who is holy, holy, holy. And yet, simultaneously, is wise and loving and gracious and merciful. And in the fullness of time, He has fulfilled the civil and ceremonial law in the person of Jesus and in the bride of Christ, but the moral law of God remains. Friends, we don't exact the punishments prescribed in the civil law. But we don't minimize the holiness of God. So be confident in the Word of God, which strengthens our faith in the God of the Word. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law, or rather it was fulfilled in Him. As Jesus is our holiness. The civil law was intended for the theocratic nation of Israel and the nation of Israel was fulfilled in the church. But as for the moral law, Jesus perfectly obeyed it on our behalf, removing its punishment for the believer but not its value. And that's why we study the Word. That's why we study the law. The law is permanent and the law is good. But still, you may be asking, why should we study it? Some of us are asking, aren't we in the age of grace? Well, yes, praise the Lord. We are. But we don't drive a wedge between the old and the new. What you will see in two weeks when Michael preaches on Exodus 20, verse 1, is that redemption is the basis of the law. Grace comes first, even with the Ten Commandments. And we'll unpack that in a couple of weeks. But for now, today, let me put forward for you three reasons why we study the law of God, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. First reason is that we can know God. You remember in our time of confession, Michael read for you, portion of Psalm 19. You see Psalm 19 is this, is this beautiful psalm and the first half of Psalm 19 tells us uh, that, that we see the glory of God in the heavens above. We see the glory of God. God reveals Himself to us in creation and nature. But along about the middle of Psalm 19 and 
verse 7. There's a transition, and, and we see in that psalm that we not only get a glimpse of God's glory in creation, but also in the law. He reveals Himself to us through the law. So Psalm 19 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you feel your soul revived as you approach the law? Most of us don't. Most of us don't. And we want to redeem our understanding of the law. Because the law points us to the goodness of God. The wisdom of God. It is a reflection of the law giver. We're so trained to think of the law as a measuring device. To measure our progress. To give us a way to justify ourselves. And when we think of that, when we think of the law in that way, it is a burden. And Paul speaks to that in the New Testament. But when we understand the law rightly as a reflection of the lawgiver, it is not a burden, but it is a beauty. It's a reflection of the heart of the lawgiver because God is holy and His ways are holy. God is perfect. His ways are perfect. And the law tells us what He values. The law tells us who He is. And so, in that way, not only do we study the law because it tells us who He is, but because we know who He is, the law helps to develop within us a biblical worldview. You know what a worldview is? A worldview is a lens through which we see what is going on in the world around us. It is uh, the lens through which we understand the world around us and the filter through which we respond to the world around us. As a kid, we used to have these colored glasses. It might be red glasses. It might be yellow glasses. And when I put those on, I looked at the world and there was a red tint or a yellow tint. Our worldview tints what we see in the world around us. But what I hope we'll see over the coming weeks is that the law of God shapes within us a biblical worldview. Proverbs. We approached the Proverbs several Well, a while ago. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Telling us that knowing God, knowing what He values, it's the entry point to wisdom. Who here wants wisdom? I hope we all do. And knowing God develops wisdom. We know God through the law and that shapes our worldview. So what does God value? God values work. And rest. It's the fourth commandment. God values the family and proper authority structures. It's the fifth commandment. God values life, all life, including life in the womb. It's the sixth commandment. God values marriage. And he values the beauty of the sexual union that exists between husband and wife. It's the seventh commandment. God actually values property and property rights. Did you know that? It's the eighth commandment. We are trained to think of the Ten Commandments as a series of don'ts. 
See the Ten Commandments. Also, is a series of do's. <laughs> to value what God values. Which takes us back to the first commandment. And a God-centric view of the world. But the Ten Commandments don't, all, don't only call us to know. They also call us to obey. And that's where so many of us wrestle So let's speak for just a moment about this obedience. Theologians speak of three uses of the law. The first use that theologians will speak of is the law restrains sin. It restrains sin for Christians and non-Christians alike. You know, as I was driving here this morning, I passed one of those flashing speed limit signs. Maybe when you drive by them, they don't flash. Occasionally, mine do. And what is that telling me? It's saying, slow down. It doesn't matter what your family background is when you drive by that flashing speed limit sign. It doesn't matter what religion you are when you drive by that flashing speed limit sign. It doesn't matter how old you are. There is a common grace to it all. It restrains sin. And the Ten Commandments do that. We even see it reflected in our nation's law codes. So the first use of the law is to restrain sin for Christian and non-Christian alike. But there's a third use of the law. The third use of the law is the law is a guide for Christian living. It's those do's that we talked about. Yes, Christian, you have been saved by grace. But we don't cast out the law because it's a reflection of the heart of God. The Ten Commandments provide for us who are believers a guide for what it looks like to follow Christ. To be shaped by Him. To have our hearts shaped by Him. It's the first use of the law. And the third use of the law, if you're paying attention, you probably caught that I skipped over the second use of the law. I want to take us there in closing. The second use of the law is, depending on your perspective, to serve as a mirror or a pointer. The second use of the law points us to Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 5 when we read the text that I actually opened with? What did Jesus say? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the most righteous in terms of outward righteousness. They obeyed the law better than anyone else. And Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I hope that hits pretty heavily. Because Jesus would go on to say, in this Sermon on the Mount, you think murder is this. I tell you, it is this. If you're angry with your brother, you have committed murder. And you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, the Ten Commandments expose to us the the seriousness with which God calls us to be holy. And tells us that we all fall short. And that is bad news. 
apart from Christ. But friends, in Christ, it is beautiful, gracious, merciful news. All of us deal with the law differently. And we need to hear the law differently. In my background, and I'm confessing this, I have embraced the law as a measuring device and saw it as a means by which I can achieve a claim and it fails me every day in that regard. In the parable of the prodigal son, a parable that many of you know well, there was a younger brother, but there, were all, there was also an older brother. Both of them. Were sinners in different ways. The older brother thought that he could achieve a place with the father because of his obedience, because of his good works, and yet he never received relationship with the father because he was trying to do it in his own. Older brother sinners like me need to know that you cannot achieve the law. As a measuring device, it demands perfection. And if you are like me, using the law in this way, you need deep conviction of sin. You need to hear that you fall short, and that reality is the gracious reality that drives us to Jesus. But there is a younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. And the younger brother has been told all his life that he is not enough. The younger brother's sinner knows his failures. And when he hears the law, it reminds him of his shame, and pushes him away. He knows what it means to be excluded, and he hears the law as exclusionary. And so younger brother sinners need the reminder of God's love in Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, God has removed the shame Because Jesus did what we could not do. He perfectly obeyed. And then there are the antinomians. Antinomian law. Those who believe we're in an age of grace. So let's just throw out the law. Let's presume upon the grace of God. The antinomians need conviction in a different way. That God calls us in Christ to grow in Christ's likeness. And the law, as a reflection of the lawgiver, serves as our guide. But for all, this reminder is to use the law for its right purpose. And it's to look to Jesus and to know His gracious love for you. Friends, the measuring device will fail us every time. The shaping tool may at times hurt, but it produces a beautiful new creation. If we come to see the law of God rightly, we will take hold of it as a shaping device. As it shapes our heart, pointing us in the direction of holiness. But hear this, the destination of holiness does not define you. You are defined relationally by the one who has taken that journey before us. 
And He has sent His Spirit to us as our guide along the way. Friends, the law is permanent. and The law is good. The law reveals the heart of God. The law shapes our hearts. And the law points us to Jesus. So as we prepare to go into a sermon series on the law, hear it through the lens of Romans 8, 1-4 through 4, that I repeat to you now again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, as we embark on this journey to study Your Word, to study the law, I pray that You would bless us, that we might see You more clearly, that we might depend on Jesus more dearly and deeply. Speak to our hearts through Your Spirit. Guide us by Your Spirit and be glorified in it all, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.